Caving folks, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here under your word tonight. We thank you for this, Father. We thank you for being able to gather in safety. When many of our brothers and sisters in the world have to gather in secrecy because they are persecuted for loving you, for praising you. Father, we ask your protection on them. We ask your protection on this evening. And we pray, Father, that we will use this evening to its fullest for your glory and our attentiveness to your word. Heavenly Father, you know that I have nothing. I know that I have nothing. You know the, the sweat and the, and, the, and the panic and the fear and the anxiety that I have had coming to prepare your word. But Father, I rely on you. I rely on you. You have promised me the Holy Spirit. And I ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit be here among us tonight as your word is shared with your people. And we pray this in the name of our loving Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now normally, folks, I would start, if I was, if I was um, speaking, I normally start with uh, the verse at the beginning. As we start with the beginning. But it's a slightly different format rather than just a, an exposition of the word. Slightly different format. And I've been asked to just do a very short sort of teaching a couple of weeks on that, three weeks on that. And the, the, the subject matter that the Lord laid upon my heart was the mission of the church. The mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? And it's a commonly used phrase. It's a well-used phrase for anybody who's been about Christian circles for any length of change. The mission of the church. Our mission is to this. I don't know if I've ever been in a church that doesn't have a mission statement. Right. Remember that was all the big rage. I don't know if people do them now. You must have a mission statement before you do anything. People would have all these. And they would have big meetings. I remember one of the churches and they had a big meeting. And this meeting went on for months and end to, to decide over about three sentences. <laughs> what was the mission statement of this church? So that's what the wee series I'm going to talk about. Now tonight's... Um, word is a sort of bigger view of what the mission is and hopefully in the following weeks I'll bring that down we've got what's the mission of the church what does that look like in our church and what does that look like in the community how does that big mission that's been given to us filter down to us and into the community so that's just a wee sort of a, a, a sort of rough synopsis of what's coming up like that word synopsis I'm going to start tonight with a wee piece of music and see if anybody remembers it. Impossible. Now most people nowadays are familiar with the Mission Impossible movies and it's, it's Tom Cruise. He's, he's a guy called Ethan Hunt. 
Does anybody remember what the name of the guy was in the original series? The actor's name was Peter Graves. And the guy who was a sort of... He had white hair. I don't know if you remember. He had white hair. was Jim Phelps. That was his name. He was Jim Phelps. And every week in the show, Jim would get a mission. Right? He would go into a phone box somewhere and he'd pick up the phone and a voice would start talking to him. Right? And he would start talking to him and he'd say, this is... And it would show you some criminal or some hooligan that they had to deal with. Right? And he would get all the information on them. And it, would, and it would lay out the mission for Jim Phelps, you know, and he would, he would listen away. And, and you'd listen into this, and Jim Phelps would get his mission, and, and there's 45 security guards guarding this, and there's laser beams, and there's landmines, and machine guns, and there's everything, and, and all this. And the voice would always tie it off at the end, be saying one thing. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Remember that? That was it. And you're always waiting every week for Jim Phelps to go, Oh no, that's a bit much for us this week. We'll just we'll call it a day and that, right? We'll not take this mission on. It's too much for us. We can't do this. But he never did. He always took a mission. He always just didn't say anything. And then it closed off by saying, This tape will self-destruct in five seconds, didn't it? And then there would be smoke would come out of the phone box or something like that. And that was it. And, and that, that always stuck with me, you know. Always a, the mission impossible. Can you even say this morning? Did Stephen preach this morning or did he say something about the, the sense of impossibility of the mission for the, the Christian church? And you know, the Christian church does have a mission. And it can often seem like an impossible mission. We do have a mission. And that mission, just like the Mission Impossible team on the telly, it needs a team. And it involves a lot of surmounting a lot of difficult situations, a lot of difficult odds. That, that, that's a position that the church can find itself in. But unlike the Mission Impossible team on the telly, the Church of Christ doesn't get the offer at the end. <laughs> This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. You don't get that offer as a Christian. The mission of the church, it's not an offer. And it doesn't come from some mysterious voice in a phone box or a tape recorder somewhere. The mission of the church is a command, it's an order. It's an order, and that order comes from God. Sometimes we get mixed up, so a lot of churches get mixed up, and they think it's an invite from God. The mission of the church is not an invite. It's a command. It's a directive to be done. Now that's just a wee set up for where we're going to move into next. But before we go any further, I want to just to try and keep something in mind. I tend to do this at the start. When we are asked to be involved in the mission of the church, we need to keep reminding ourselves it is not our work. We are partnering God in the completion of his work on earth that was started by Jesus 
we are partnered with God. So when we get involved in mission, whatever that might be, so in my case, I'm part of Graham maybe mentioned I go to Haiti and we work my building a school, and people go, Oh, that guy's great work you're doing. Oh, I'm off you're so proud of you and you're this. And I feel so embarrassed. And it's not a false humility. Because I've been there for the beginning and I realise how little me and the other guys have got. And God has just shoveled on grace upon grace upon grace for us to get forward. And that's when you realise, you go, this isn't my work. This is God's work. I've just, I'm just partnering with him for the bits that he needs me for. So if you could just keep that in mind as we go forward and we talk about the mission of the church, you're a partner with God in it. The work doesn't belong to you. Whether it's working in this community or a coffee shop or in Haiti or whatever we're doing, it's God's work. And there's a great release in that. There's a great release in that. There's a lot of pressure comes off with that. Now, before we start talking about what is the mission of the church, most of us can carry what we think is a meaning of church. What does church mean to us? You say church, church to most people in, well, I'll just say Scotland, and automatically they think of a big stone building, don't they? Are you in a church? But most people do, particularly older generations. We think of a big stone building, or we think of a building. And we think he is somebody with a collar and going back to front and things like that. And that's what vision of what a church is. And it's not it's not that. It's not a building and it's it's not the man with the collar or the woman with the collar, whatever it is, it's nothing like that. Church goes a way, way back into the Old Testament. Church is not a New Testament. Too many people think that the church was just established because Paul established churches in, in Corinth and different places and Philip and all the rest. The church of God is older than that. It goes way, way back into the Old Testament. The first indication that God wanted us to gather together is found in Deuteronomy, Old Testament. Deuteronomy 4.10 Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. That's, that is about as good a description of church as you're going to get. Assemble my people before me so that they can hear my word and learn to revere me and teach them to my children. That's church. And that's in the Old Testament. That's in the desert. So that's came all the way through. And, and the word that's used there, strangely enough, the word that's used, the Hebrew word that's used, and I don't want to sound as if I know what I'm talking about. I had to go in the research and track all this down. The Hebrew word that's used there for gathering people, the girl's called kahal. It's spelled Q-A-H-A-L. And it means to gather an assembly. And in the old Greek, that comes out as ecclesiat soso which in New Testament Greek is Ecclesia and Ecclesia means church so the Hebrew word is connected to the New Testament word even in language it's connected it means to summon an assembly so that's what church is it's not a building and it's not how we dress it's nothing to do with that it's a summons from God to assemble to hear his word and to reveal him 
That's what that is. And do you know it's not just a local assembly? You know, sometimes when we're in churches, we can get a bit tied to our own. This is my church, my fellowship, and, and the world shrinks. The church of God is local, it's regional, it's national, it's international, it's global, it's universal. When God spoke those words to gather his people together, it was to the universe. It wasn't just to a wee plot. I know a lot of denominations think he was only talking to them. <laughs> he was talking to all these people. And do you know, people are caught up in the visible representation of church. The true church of God is an invisible church. It's the church of the heart. That's what God is calling you to gather. There are many people who gather in a church building, but they haven't brought their hearts. It's your heart that God's calling to listen to him. That's when he says, gather, summon my people, so that I can speak to their hearts. So yes, the church takes on a visible form in buildings and things, but the church is the gathering of all these hearts sitting here to hear God's word. That's the church. Kevin DeYoung, who's a smashing writer, he puts it this way, the church is the assembling of God's people as a church of the heart. It is the invisible gospel church of the heart that becomes visible when all confessing Christians gather together and evidence Jesus in their life. When the hearts come together and then when we do things Jesus becomes visible. An amazing thing. But that call went out thousands of years ago in the desert. Now that's what church is. So you don't need to get caught up in whether it's a building or a denomination. It's a gathering of the hearts to listen to God. The next question is, what is a mission? And I don't mean like Mission Impossible. I'm talking in these terms. The Oxford English Dictionary says... It's an important assignment given to a person or a group of people typically involving travel abroad. So that's the first description it gives. Sort of we could work with that. But then it gives a secondary one. It gives a secondary meaning. The vocation or calling of a religious organisation, especially a Christian one, to go out into the world and spread its faith. So let me read that again. The vocation or calling of a religious organisation, especially a Christian one, to go out into the world and spread its faith. Right? To go and to do. To go and to spread. That's the definition that we work with tonight. And there's a couple of things about that definition. Firstly, mission in a religious context is particular to the Christian faith alone the theme of mission is particular to Christians alone yes there are many other faiths who go out and spread but they spread as a means of conquest of conquering others the Christian mission 
is not a mission of conquering. It's a mission of calling and going. It's completely different. So mission is particular to the Christian faith. It's very unique in that way. And that's why the Oxford English Dictionary, which in this modern world would never be caught normally saying something like that, has to admit up to that because it's just a fact. It's a fact. Secondly, mission involves a going out. A going out from where they are. Now that can be a geographical going out. If you're going on mission, you can be going to a different country or a different part. But if we're an assembly of the heart, it's about going out from your heart. That's what God's calling you to do. That may involve travelling miles. It may involve just walking across the road and chapting a door. It's, is your heart prepared to go out somewhere for me? Are you prepared to go out from your comfort zone for me? So mission involves a going out. Thirdly, mission involves a task. There's always a task. In the Oxford English Dictionary explanation, it was about spreading faith. But mission is always a going and a doing. A going and a doing. Okay, and if you can keep that, that's what. Because the church, all churches that I've been in, get caught up in a big debate about what is mission. <laughs> right? It's no complicated. The apostles were fishermen. They've been looking at them going, why? It's about going and doing. It's as simple as that. That's what mission is. Now, so we now know what church is. Churches are gathering in the hearts to listen to God. And mission is a going and doing. So what is the church's mission? What is the church's mission? And as I said, there's many arguments about what it is. And there are whole huge denominations built on different missions. What they believe the mission is. And I'm going to go through a couple of them just to show you what the church mission is not. What it is not. Right? Because we can all carry misconceptions. In Luke 4, 16-21, he went to Nazareth, this is Jesus, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. There are denominations set up on the belief that the mission of the church is to the poor. Right? That's what they believe. Does what is written there mean that we have only to work with the poor? It doesn't mean that. Because the emphasis in this, the Greek word for the poor here is a Greek word that's called tokos. It doesn't mean materially poor as in I've got no money. It means spiritually poor. It's got a wider meaning. But there's so many churches don't read that wider meaning and they just go and work with the impoverished of wealth. People don't have any money and things like that. 
that does not fit the going and doing understanding of what a mission is it's a statement of what Jesus is there to do which is proclaim the good news to the poor that's not a statement of going and doing it's a statement of what Jesus is about it's really simple that one so the church's mission is not about missioning only to the poor is the church's mission to be a blessing to our communities well the passage that's often used for that to back that up it used to be what's commonly known as the social gospel have heard of that? the social gospel that we go into our communities and we do all the stuff that the social work and the council want to do and then people will look at us and go they're great people and Christians it's called the social gospel and the verse that's often used for that is Genesis 12, 1-3 and the social gospel says the Lord has said to Abraham go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you so a lot of denominations have taken that as meaning we have to do nothing other than to go into communities and, and do things for them and we will be blessed they will be blessed by our doing the problem with that is the Hebrew emphasis in that passage is not blessing the emphasis in the passage is go from your country when Abraham's told to go from his country because what God sent him if you go from your country and do what I'm going to tell you as a consequence people will be blessed so he doesn't actually give Abraham a task he says go so it meets one of the definitions there's a go in there but it doesn't meet the second but there's no task in there so it doesn't meet the description of mission so that's two things the poor and being a blessing to communities is not the mission they are important things for churches to do but it's not the mission of the church are we to act as intermediaries between God and our communities there's a world denomination that believes that probably the largest Christian world denomination that believes that they are the visible representation of God on earth and they are the intermediary between all people and God and the, and the verse that they use is Exodus 9, 5, 6 now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasure possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words you have to speak to the Israelites and the church has taken that and built a massive institution on it, a global institution and that they are the only representatives of God on earth they are the holy priests that are intermediaries between man and God I'm sorry but that interpretation of that passage does not fit with the rest of the Old Testament 
Because nowhere in the Old Testament is God found in a man. God is represented by fire, by smoke, by a cloud over the ark, by a cloud in the mount, by fire in the bush, by the column of smoke and fire that went before the Israelites. He is never found as a man. God only comes as a man once, and that's the New Testament. So that idea that a church is an intermediary between God and man is flawed. It doesn't match with the rest of scripture. It's a simple passage taken out of context. So if the church's mission isn't to the poor, and it's not to be a blessing on communities, and it's not to be intermediaries, what is the church's mission? And here it is, here's the bath scripture that I would normally have at the beginning, but I didn't think was appropriate. It's the Great Commission. That's what the mission of the church is. Matthew 2, 16-20 Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It fits the definition of what mission is. There is a going and a doing. Therefore, go. And when you go there, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. There's not just one task, there's three tasks in there. This is the mission of the church. To go and make disciples. And it says, therefore go. Now, I said to you earlier, the mission of the church is not like the Mission Impossible team. Should you choose to accept this mission, it's an order. The mission of the church of Jesus Christ is an order, it's a command, it comes with authority. In the army, right, in the army, I'm a terrible one for getting back to the army for examples, right? In the army, they have orders, so an officer can come up, or a non-commissioned come up and say, you're right, you clean that bucket, or go here, or go there, do whatever, right? And you do it. But there are also what they call standing orders in the army. Right? It's an order that there doesn't need to be someone there to tell you to do it. It just gets done every time. Every day. Right? And everybody knows what the standing orders are. Right? So, say the boss says everybody needs to be on parade with their hair painted purple. That's the standing order of the week. I'll guarantee you there'll be guys on parade with their hair painted purple without anybody telling them. God's command to go is a standing order. It's not an option for a Christian. You do not have the option to refuse this mission. It's a command. And you know the strange thing is? The order from Jesus to therefore go 
It's not that unfamiliar in the Bible. What did God say to Abraham? Go. What did he say to Moses? Go. What does he say to the prophets? Go and tell them. Go and do. And Jesus is exactly the same. Therefore go. You know, I often think of Moses. Moses was quite happy once he'd left Egypt and went away. And he became a shepherd. He was quite happy <laughs> being a shepherd. He'd have happily went to the end of his days and never get involved again. And God said, go into the land of Egypt. He did argue for a bit, but he lost. The command is not an option. And the lesson in that wee bit for us is, if you're planning on being a Christian and enjoying sitting here and soaking up all the lovely songs and all the good teaching and all the lovely glow that you get from being amongst other Christians in a safe place and you're not going to go and share that afraid you're going to be blown right out of your seat you won't get away with it very long so I've just spoken to someone in the last week who I've not saw for a couple of years and it's just happened to them they've spent the last two years soaking up the joy of being a Christian I've really done anything else done the church, done the family, did it, did it. I says, to them, and, you, and you when I sat down with them I said, how are you doing? ah, good, and things are good, and things are good and you know that, the spidey sense is going something's, something's amiss here and we just went through the normal formalities and then I said, so what church are you worshipping in the ah, well see, I'm, I'm not really going to church as often as maybe I should that's what happens when you sit and hold on to yourself and you don't take what God's given you and go out with it so there's a warning there now Jesus gives us this command to go a command needs to have authority before it's effective imagine your kids come around and saying to you right Graham imagine Nathan come around and say right dad time for your bed Get your bed, sweep past your bedtime. You're going to do what you just did, you're going to laugh. Because there's no authority there. There's no authority. Switch it around. You're the dad, you say, Nathan, time for your bed. You've got wisdom, you've got age, you've got experience, and you're bigger than them. So, you've got authority. It's the same in workplaces. People on the same level don't get to tell each other what to do. People up there get to tell everybody what to do. That authority comes to the fact that they own the building, they own the wages, they can do anything they want. Jesus' authority comes from the highest, and the highest, and the highest. His authority to give you the command to go comes from as high as you can get comes from God the Father all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me 
Et que la voix de donneur has been given to me, so I can tell you exactly what you're going to be doing. You see, Jesus triumphed over everything on earth. Everything. There is nothing in this world that can beat him. He beat everything hands down. He triumphed. There is not a situation, there is not an event, there is not a person, there is nothing in the whole of human history can defeat Jesus of Nazareth. Because he went to a cross and beat them all. And in doing that, because you see, he was given a mission by his father. Go and do. And through that obedience and that sacrifice, Jesus Christ has the authority to tell us to go. So, it's an order, and it's an order with authority. He's commanding us to go. To go and do what? Because a mission has a going and a doing. Okay, I'm prepared to go, but what have I do when I get there? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, a disciple is just somebody that follows somebody else. Because they like what they say, or they believe their teachings, or their philosophy. That's what they do in modern times. If you're a politician, you put a political manifesto. People read it, they like it, they don't like it. If they like it, they follow you. If you're a philosopher, you put all your ideas about the world. People read it, they debate back and forward, and they argue, and if they like it at the end, they follow you. A disciple is just a follower. That's what it is. Now, the problem for us is we are told to go and make disciples. I think I can say this with relative safety. The Western Church does not really do discipling well. We have the heart, but we don't actually get it. It doesn't translate. There are many reasons for that. One of the big reasons is we live in a world where the individual sees themselves as the most important thing and their desires and wants and people don't follow people really easily nowadays because everybody thinks they're special <laughs> right? I think it's got a lot to do with how a lot of the youngsters have been brought up nowadays I remember going to my son's prize giving at school one night and he said dad I'm getting a prize, I'm getting a prize at school now in my day you got a prize you were either first or second I'm not going to school, there was about 20 of them on the stage. They were all getting a prize. Well done, Bobby, for effort, and well done for Jeannie for turning up, and it? This was this whole inclusive thing. Some of these kids are growing up thinking, I'm special. And they haven't even done anything. They have a false sense of what achievement is. So when you go to try and say to them, listen, I've got something here I would like to tell you about this, that, and the next thing, they go, ah, 
It's nothing bigger than me. I don't need what you've got to offer. So that's part of the problem with discipling in the Western world. It is difficult because the receiving body thinks that they are the biggest. The other problem with not being good at discipling is many, many churches are not courageous enough or brave enough to lay out the Christian manifesto in all its glory. They are scared to. The Christian manifesto is the Christian gospel. It's the most awkward, uncomfortable piece of news that this world has ever had. It's the gospel of sin, repentance, forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. Even when you say sin, they go, that won't, that won't. Back to what I was talking to you about the wings of the trophies. I'm good, I'm perfect, I don't make mistakes. And you go up and say, listen, I need to tell you something, you're a sinner. They don't want to hear it. So right off the bat, you see how impossible mission (laughs) this is becoming. But it's the very thing that we're commanded to do is to take this awkward message of sin, repentance, forgiveness and salvation into the world. We have to go with that message. You know the strange thing is is you'll make all the disciples you want if you tell them they're all nice and fine and you're okay and you're no well. You can do that, you can steal and you can come into church. You'll still get to heaven. I had a friend message me on Facebook quite recently. The guy I used to work with. He's got quite a promiscuous and wild life. Strangely enough, you know what he said in the Facebook message? Fuck me, think I'll get into heaven. So I sent him back John 3.16. So I can say. I've got nothing else to say. Ah, you might get in. Oh, you're a good guy. Oh, you're this, you're that. If you cut corners with the gospel, the Christian manifesto, people will die. They will die. And that's the other problem with discipling in the Western world. We know what it's all at. The churches that refuse to preach the gospel as it is laid out, as Jesus has asked us to take it and make disciples with, they are changing it. They are pulling their punches. People don't want to hear that they need to repent of their sins. As soon as you tell them they're a sinner, they'll abandon you faster than they'll abandon a sink ship. They will. They're off at the door. And if many Christians are honest, they hold back. They hold back with the full gospel. For lots of reasons. It is an awkward message for the world. It's not an awkward message to me as a Christian. It's a beautiful message. I'm like, hallelujah. But as soon as I step out that door, it change. the message doesn't change, but the environment changes. And Christians pull their budgets because it is one message in this world that will get you labelled as a nutcase. Nutcase, holy roller, tambourine basher, feel maniac, cripple that needs a crutch. Bear in mind, this is all they stood on the stage getting a prize for nothing. 
and you get the message of life. But here's the great thing. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows you'll pull your punches. Because I don't know if you noticed the wee bit in the Great Commission when they went to the mountain and some of them doubted. <laughs> they doubted. Wait a minute. He's been crucified. He was buried. He's rose for the dead. He's stoned in front of you and you're still going, oh, wait a minute here. Is he? Is he no? <laughs> Jesus knows that people will pull their punches with the gospel. So he says something. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. He's no saying that to comfort them and make them go, oh, I feel a bit better about that. He's telling them who's actually going to do the work. It's not us that make the disciples. Do you remember I said to you earlier, we only partner with God in his work. We don't make the disciples. We go. Luke's Gospel puts it beautifully. Beautifully. Luke's Gospel, Luke 24, 45 to 49. This is, this for me is, the, is just God at work with us. So it's the same, it's the same situation. It's the Great Commission. And Luke puts it this way. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. In other words, don't say anything else. Don't add to it, don't take away from it, don't pull your punches. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus is making it clear to them, when you go to deliver the most awkward message in the world, I'm going to give you the power of the scriptures, the word of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You're no going out here on an impossible mission. I'm giving you this, and I'm giving you this. And I'm asking you to go out and deliver this through the power of that. the scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit that's what your mission is it's the same message God will accompany us in power if we just go you're a sinner you need salvation you have offended God in a way that has eternal hellish consequences for you and you need safety now. That's a powerful message. I've not got the bottle to deliver that. I don't. Maybe it's the rest of you have. I don't have the courage to do that in the world. But see when I pick that up and I pray and I say, God, please be with me. I'm getting this lines then and give me the words. I don't care if I'm shaking. I learned a long time ago, courage isn't about no being shaking. 
Courage has been shaky and still gone ahead. I learned that a long time ago. And that's why I asked God for. Give me the courage. Give me the courage. Strangely enough, he's not failed me yet. <laughs> I'm still... <laughs> there's the human bit of me. I still think at some point he might drop me. That's me. That's the human bit of me. But he knows that. So just to close, folks. We're under a standing order for Jesus Christ to go and make disciples. To go out from our hearts to other people and make disciples. And that command to go is a standing order that comes from the highest in heaven. No fair president, no fair general, no fair boss, no even fair wife. Right? It comes from the highest order. With all the authority that any command can ever have. What right do we have to refuse it? You're an idiot. You're a fool if you refuse this order. You're a fool. If you say, oh, that's not really my thing. Oh, I don't really do that talking to people thing. He's telling you that's what you're doing. So he's saying that you go. I'm the boss, I'm telling you, you go. And we only make disciples by sharing the gospel of sin, repentance, forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen any other way. It doesn't happen. You can make all the cups of tea and coffee and cake and sweet talk them all you want and tell them they're a good guy and they'll be fine. They will never get to Christ. They will never get to Christ. You need to tell them that. We need to tell them that. No, you, me as well. But just to remember that when we go to share that gospel, He is with us even until the end of the age, whenever that's going to be. He is in us in the power of the Scriptures. And with that power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit! God is there with you as you open your mouth. You don't need to be afraid. You're a nutcase. I know. You're a religious maniac. I know. I've still told you. My job's done. It's then over the Holy Spirit. So that's the mission of the church. And the truth is, it does look like an impossible mission. First you go to convince people there's God, then you go to convince them that He loves them, then you go to convince them that they've offended them, then you go to convince them that that offence has a hellish consequence for all eternity. Then you've got to convince them <laughs> that he's provided a way out for them. Then you've got to convince them that he's taken all their sin upon him so that they can get to heaven. And all they have to do is admit the offence, ask forgiveness, and come to Jesus. That's an impossible mission if you're doing it yourself.
Either before you leave here, I'll refer you to one line of scripture to close. You can look at it now, you can look at it tonight. Matthew nineteen twenty six. May God bless his work to our hearts. Let's be in front of our Lord. Amen.